Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Hey, Renee. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, I had to teach, but we're going to be doing a mix of everything tonight. So we're going to be doing some teaching and some worship. Some teaching is worship. If you want them to stay in, they can stay in. Or if you want them to go back, they do not want to stay in. I know that. So if you ask them. Thank you for showing the love of Jesus and taking them. So teens, you can go back there with Renee. You don't have to sit in with me. You know, the Wednesday before Christmas, it's always kind of fun. You know, a lot of you are getting focused here on Christmas coming up this weekend. Uh, I assume most of the kids, probably today was their last day of school. And so this is something that we started last year, just kind of stopping on this Wednesday and saying, let's really just stop and focus on this, what this means and what this represents. So with that being said, Luke chapter 2 is the classic Christmas story. This is the one that you hear. This is the one that they read in Charlie Brown Christmas. This is it. I absolutely love this. And so while we were kind of praying and thinking about what to do, I called up Marv yesterday. And I said, Marv, let's try to do something different tomorrow night at church. Marv said, what are you thinking? And I said, I have no idea. So I said, you pray about it, I'll pray about it, and let's just plan on talking the next day. And so we prayed about it together on the phone, talked about it, and then we got called each other this morning. He had some ideas, I had some ideas, and this is kind of what we put together here to do a little bit different. If you don't like it, blame Marv. What we're going to do is this. So often you sing these Christmas carols, and you know them. You know them. Now, the interesting thing about a Christmas carol is you guys know them, usually the first verse. Everybody sings really loud and proud the first verse. You get the second verse, the third verse, sometimes they disappear. One of the things I really appreciate about what they do out here is we sing a lot of them with all the verses. Because when you get to some of those second and third verses, the words are powerful. The words are very powerful. What I want to do is this, is to simply go through Luke chapter 2. We'll make a couple little teaching points here and there. But Luke chapter 2 basically teaches itself. It's such a great, great story. And as we get to a spot... We're going to stop, and the worship team is going to come up, and they're going to share in song some of those Christmas carols, and you're going to see where it fits into the story. And what I want you to do at that moment, I want you to stop and think about what you just read, and I want you to think about the words that we're going to sing and see how it all comes together. Because what have we really been talking about the last couple Sundays here at church is we've been talking about how the entire Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The first prophecy in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 about how a descendant of Eve will crush the head of Satan. Really, what is that? That's a prophecy about Christmas, about Jesus coming and being born to defeat sin on the cross. And so when you look through the entire Bible, it's always about Jesus. And what happens is we have this tendency to focus on Christmas, then we focus on Resurrection Day, and we focus on this or that. But really, it's all together. Every day of the year, we should be celebrating the birth of Christ. We should be celebrating his death and celebrating his resurrection. So with that being said, as we go through Luke chapter 2, I want you to think about these Christmas carols that you have probably sang, some of you, for maybe decades. Really think about the words. Think about how they fit into this story, and let's put it all together. So with that being said, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Now, that's a very important first three verses. Now, like I said, we're really not going to teach a lot on this, but I want you to understand the importance of those first three verses. Those are historical facts. Those are historical people. 
This is what we look at. So when you read the Bible, you can stop and say, hey, history tells me about Caesar Augustus. History tells me about Quirinius governing Syria. And you can put a time frame on this. So often people read verses like that and they say, I don't understand the words. Who are these people? I'm not into history. Don't be into history. Be into facts. Those first three verses set the tone and tell us exactly when this is going on. That we know for sure the truth of this and the validity of this. Now, this is how the Lord moved to get Joseph to go back to Bethlehem. Because take a look at verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. There's not a normal reason why Joseph would go to Bethlehem. There's not. The distance that Joseph would have to travel was 80 miles. 80 miles. Back during Bible times, you would not travel 80 miles. You know how long that would take you to go. So he has to travel 80 miles. The way the Lord moved to get him from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Bethlehem was this census. That sounds like it was just a political ploy to make money. No, this was God ordained to fulfill a prophecy coming from the book of Micah to say that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So Joseph goes and he takes with him, verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, parents, let's speak men out there specifically. Men that uh, went through the pregnancy with their wives. Now, I always hesitate to talk about pregnancy a little bit because wives get really, really touchy when you start talking about pregnancy. So I will choose my words carefully. My wife and I have been blessed to have five children, so to go through five births, five deliveries, etc. I remember specifically with one of our kids, there was a road that we always used to take to Bowling Green, which is the hospital where all of our kids were born. And I remember my wife specifically, while being very, as the Bible would call it, heavy with child, telling me, never take this road again. It was one of those backcountry roads, dodging potholes, etc., So with that in mind, please remember now that he is making this traveling arrangements, 80 miles, 80 miles, probably on the back of some type of donkey, etc. A very pregnant woman. Boy, oh boy. Think about that. Think about the age. Most people believe at this time Mary was maybe 14, 15, 16. So now you have two basically kids That the previous eight, nine months have been two visits by angels to say, hey, you're going to have a baby. It's a miraculous child. Don't worry. You're only carrying the Messiah. Think about what's going through these kids' minds. And now all of a sudden, Joseph comes up to his very pregnant wife and says, hey, by the way, jump on the mule. We're going on an 80-mile trip while heavy with child. Please make this real in your minds. You have the little nativity scene set up. You've seen the pictures. You've maybe even seen the silhouettes. I've seen the silhouettes of the man leading maybe the camel or the donkey and the woman riding in the back. Make it real now. 14, 15-year-old woman, maybe a 16, 17-year-old man, heavy with child, going 80 miles. Not very pretty. Not very fun. And while they get there, verse 6, so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Come on, think about this. They show up in Jerusalem. Excuse me, they show up in Bethlehem. Everybody is there. There's no room. 
Do they have a little husband-wife conversation? Joseph, you didn't call ahead to make a reservation? I mean, do they have those little things? So there is literally no place. Now, where did she have the baby? You can debate this. Was it a barn? Some people believe it was more like a cave. We do know for a fact that she has the baby. And what does she do? She lands him in a feeding trough. A feeding trough. I grew up on a farm. We grew up with sheep. We grew up with pigs. I can't imagine taking one of my newborn kids and putting them in a feeding trough. I can't. Who was there to help Mary have this baby? This 14, 15-year-old girl? Nobody. She was taken away from everybody. Friends, family, relatives, neighbors, everybody. And it's just her and Joseph in a barn having a baby. The most scared I've ever been in my life was every time that my wife was going to have a child. Because you are so far out of control. There's nothing you can do as a man. You sit there, you support, you encourage, you pray, and you just you can't do anything about it. You know, one of the songs that we like to sing is Silent Night, Holy Night, etc. I do obviously believe that when Mary was having this child, I think she went through the birth pains. This was probably not necessarily a silent night. So now that you have this in the back of your mind, back of your mind, government ordained, made to, 80-mile trip to pay taxes on the back of some animal with a heavily pregnant 14, 15-year-old girl that now gets to the town. They can't even find a place to stay. So we're back in the barn. Oh, my, now's the time. I'm going into labor. No one is around to help. No one is there. And now you have a baby. And now Joseph, can't you imagine Joseph holding this child? Because he's the one that delivered it. He's looking around. The only thing I got is a feeding trough. Let's put the baby in there. So now that you know this, worship team, if you want to come up, listen to the words that we're going to sing here in just a little bit. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. They make it sound so wonderful, doesn't it? The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I don't know where he got that idea. I love you, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky and stay by my side until morning is nigh. Think about now Luke 2, 1 through 7, with the background of that song. And think about this other song we're going to sing now. Silent night, holy night. Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. So when Jesus is born, this is God born in a manger, in a stable, to a young girl with no one around. And that's how God chose to make his entrance into the world. As they get ready to sing these two Christmas carols, think about what we just read and think about those words, please. Go ahead, guys.
Christ. Let's get back here to Luke, Luke chapter 2. You know, here in verse uh, 8, verse 8, we're now introduced to the next group of people in the Christmas story, the shepherds. I love the shepherds. Absolutely love them. You know, once again, growing up, we had sheep growing up. I've always enjoyed sheep. They're such a lovable animal. I, I firmly believe baby lambs are the cutest little animal that God has ever created. And so when you see these lambs, they're just adorable. If you've ever been around sheep, sheep are also the stupidest animals that God has ever created too. So please remember that. When God looks at you, he loves you, but you're dumb. That's what he's really saying there when it comes to that. But you're introduced now to the shepherds. Now, isn't it fascinating? The first people to get the birth announcement are shepherds. Now, you may be stopping and you think, oh, well, this is a pretty cool type of thing. The shepherds, because they're taking care of the sheep. Jesus is the lamb. David was a shepherd, etc. Please get a little bit of background here on what shepherds were like in Bible times. This is how it worked. The lowest of the low in society, if you were Jewish, was a leper. Leper. They had to live outside the camp. They had to live outside the town. If they came near anybody, they had to yell out leprosy, leprosy, leprosy. No one was around near them in any way. In fact, they were not allowed to have anybody downwind of them. Right above leopards, 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 this is testing you. Right above lepers were shepherds. They were one step above lepers. Because why? They were constantly unclean. The Jews had all these rules for ceremonial hand washing, if you've ever read the law. And there's no way a shepherd could stay clean. They're constantly outside. They're constantly around animals. They're constantly around animal waste. They were never able to be clean. And so when a Jew, a good, clean Jewish man, would see a Jewish shepherd, he's ceremonially and just constantly unclean. And so the shepherds were considered the law of society. In fact, Bible tells us, I shouldn't say the Bible tells us, they tell us that they were not allowed to have shepherds' testimony was not allowed in court. They were looked upon as such a low caste of society that they were stayed away from and they were not allowed to have their testimony in court. They were just looked down upon. So isn't it fascinating that the first people to hear the birth announcement are the shepherds, verse 8. Now they were in the same country, shepherds lying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, we don't know when Jesus was born. Let's just make this point. Obviously, we don't know if he was born December 25th or not. And that's not the point of Christmas is to say emphatically that this is the date that Jesus was born. What is important here is the shepherds were out all the time. If somebody ever tries to come up to you and say, well, they wouldn't have shepherds out in the fields in December, but they would because they're always doing animal sacrifices at the temple. So you constantly had shepherds and you constantly had sheep and lambs there to keep making sure that everything was going fine with the temple sacrifices. So this is night, night. Okay, They probably were asleep. I don't know about you. I'm not really coherent and good if somebody wakes me up from a deep sleep. I'm not. And if I'm woken up from a deep sleep by verse 9, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, look at their response, and they were greatly afraid. When you go to bed tonight, imagine somebody coming into your room at 2 a.m., lighting up the whole room, then all of a sudden bringing a bunch of angels with them and start talking to you. You'd be greatly afraid as well. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Please note the repetition of this. Verse 9, they were greatly afraid. Verse 10, they tell us, do not be afraid. Why did they have to tell us, do not be afraid? Because they were what? Afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you, personally, to you, shepherds, 
the outcast of society, the unclean, the people that no one wants to be around. It was born to you, to you, this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Man, I love that. This has been said in so many different ways and so many different times. You know, if Jesus really wanted to make an impact on the world, he probably should have been born in Rome. He should have been born right there, maybe in the Colosseum or right there in the emperor's palace. That would have got everybody's attention. The first people to receive the birth announcement are the low of society, one step above the lepers. Does that not show the heart of your Savior? That he's looking for the downtrodden, the outcast, the people that no one else cares about? And he makes it personal. Born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior is Christ, Lord. Verse 12. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Just put yourself in this position. You're already the low of society. Look down upon all of a sudden, in your deep sleep, an angel appears, starts talking to you. And then all of a sudden, verse 13, there's a whole multitude. Would that not get your attention? See, when you sing these songs here in a little bit, hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. When we sing that, I'm not trying to take away from the song. Imagine dirty men look down upon, no one wanted to be around, that are completely scared. Those are who those words are spoken to. Always who they're spoken to. What about this next one? Oh, come all ye faithful. Joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Bethlehem, nothing, a nothing town. Or what about angels we have heard on high? Think about that one. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing over the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be which inspire your heavenly song. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adorn the bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. The outcast of society, the downtrodden that nobody wants. Now, as you also sing angels we have heard on high, you're also going to sing Gloria in excelsis Deo. That's a Latin phrase that means glory to God in the highest. So as you're singing that, think about this. So these shepherds come. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Ask yourself, be honest, would you have done that? You just got woke up. You got sheep to take care of. You got a job. I mean, would you, would you do this? You're now going, listen, in the middle of the night. Looking for a brand new baby. And you're all of a sudden going to say you're not going to believe this. But some angels just appeared to us. Uh, they said that you just kind of had the Messiah. Put this all together. And now you're going to walk in to this brand new baby. The dirty shepherds. The dirty shepherds. 
I can remember when we had our kids. I can remember all the hand-washing ritual my wife made everybody go through before they could even get near the baby. You had to put a containment suit on if you wanted to hold that thing. So now, once again, you're Mary. Put this all together. You just had a baby. Ladies that have been through that, you just had a baby. So you're 14, 15. The only person there to help you is Joseph, who has no idea what he's doing. And you have no room at the end. You're in some cave. You're in some barn. Your baby's in a feeding trough. And then, honey, there's a bunch of shepherds here that want to see the kid. This is what you're singing about. This is what you're singing about. Please, right now in your mind, think of a 14-year-old girl you know. And put her in that position. Had a baby, the Messiah. What would she mentally be going through? So they come, verse 16, they come with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. This is the shepherds whose testimony is not allowed in court. This is the shepherds who people don't even care about. And now they're so excited, they're walking around telling everybody, guess what Jesus is. Guess what, who has been born. Verse 18, And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's a lot for her to think about. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Wow. Let's just repeat some of these points there, because I want to make sure you're getting it. The low of society is the first person to hear about the birth of Christ. Please remember that now when it comes to spreading the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. As we joke out here a lot, we all want to be missionaries to the upper middle class. God has called you to go out and be a witness to every person you run into. Every person. I have noticed that the Lord, usually the people the Lord really wants me to get a chance to minister to, are the people that I would probably not choose to want to be around with on a regular basis. Why? Because God is reminding me to love the shepherds. To love those shepherds. Please remember the shepherds. Sound asleep. All of a sudden, angels appear, and you're scared out of your mind. I just want to let you know that sometimes when the Lord asks you to do something... The first response sometimes can be pretty scary. And maybe the Lord has laid something on your heart right now, and you're not moving in faith on it because you're actually walking in fear. Think about what these shepherds are going through. Think about the faith that it would take to leave these flocks, go the city of David. I mean, what did they do? Did they go from house to house to house asking for a baby? And they will find it, and they found him. But one of the key passages here that we kind of skip over is verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And then verse 16 is the key. And they came with haste. They obeyed. They heard it. They responded. And they went. They looked. And they found. You and I both know people that you can present the gospel to. And they don't want to put the effort into knowing Christ personally. They don't want to come with haste to know him. They'll agree with you. I mean, look at what the shepherd said in verse 15. Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Those are great words. But the key thing is verse 16 is they actually went. They actually went. Listen, a lot of you have a good intentions of going deeper in the Lord. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be in the word daily. I'm going to pray. I'm going to stay pure. I'm going to be a light and a witness. I'm going to be ministry-minded. 
Okay, does it get any worse past words? I don't say that to pick on you. I don't say that at all. But I'm saying, look at these shepherds. They went and obeyed. The dirty shepherds went and looked for the baby after angels told them to go do it. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. The heart of obedience. Why did God call the shepherds? Because maybe he knew they would be the only ones that would obey. Think about this. And we're not going to get into this here because it's not in the story in Luke. But think about how Herod responded. Okay, Herod has the wise men show up. Right? Saying, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Herod never once leads his palace to go look himself. He was not willing to put the effort into going and finding out if this Jesus was real. The shepherds in faith were willing. You've got to decide which group are you. Are you the shepherds that in faith are going to be willing to obey? Or are you going to be Herod, your little own king, sitting on your throne that's not willing to get off to go take a look at the Messiah? So as we get ready to sing these songs now, as we get ready to sing, O come all you faithful, and angels we have heard on high, and hark the herald angels sing, listen to these phrases that are going to come up a lot about going to Bethlehem and the angels announcing this. They were announcing this to men in fear. They were announcing this to men that were dirty. They were announcing this to men that had no idea. But these men responded in faith. And as we sing these songs here, keep that perspective. Worship team, if you come forward here. As we sing these songs, think about these shepherds now. And think about Mary. These men showing up. Oh my, what an amazing thing this is. So we're going to do those three songs now. And I want you to pray on those words. Think of those words as we sing through this.
up here on Luke 2. I just want to hate to destroy those uh, Christmas carols because I love them, but please note in Luke 2 it never says anything about the angels singing. Isn't that fascinating? We just sang three songs about the angels singing. What it says in verse 13 is the multitude, the heavenly host, praising God and saying, and saying, I find interesting. So as we get here to the end of Luke chapter 2, look at verse 19. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary had a lot of questions. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that the truth? Mary had a lot of questions. And I, and I keep making these points, and you may say, James, we get it. I really want you to stop and think about Mary, this young girl that just gave birth to the Messiah, the virgin birth. And shepherds are showing up. They're telling stories about angels appearing to them. She's got a lot of questions. She pondered them in her heart. And last Christmas carol that I wanted to finish with tonight is the song, What Child Is This? Because when you stop and you think about that song, What Child Is This? Listen to the words of it. It's a question. They're, they're asking, what is this child? And the same thing has to happen today. Over this next week, you're, you're going to hear Christmas music all over the place. You're going to see secular artists that do not even believe in God singing about God. You're going to have people that have no interest in the Lord in any way whatsoever, and they're going to be singing along to Christmas carols or putting up nativity scenes. I mean, it's absolutely amazing for about the next few days, everywhere you look, you're going to see a silhouette of a nativity or Jesus or he has come, something along that type of line. 
But how many of those people truly understand who Christ is? And that's why this last song that we're going to close with tonight, What Child Is This? It makes you stop and you wonder, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We just got done talking, I believe it was last Wednesday, in our study in Hebrews, about never let Jesus become ordinary to you. Never let him become common to you. I think a danger that faces a lot of us Christians is when you've been walking with the Lord for years, it becomes very easy to let it become common to you. Never let the excitement of what Christ did on the cross become normal to you. Never let the passion of ministry become normal to you because there's always people that have not heard or there's always people that need to hear again. And so as we get ready to close with what child is this, it's an opportunity for us to really stop and ask, Lord, who are you in my life? Are you really my Savior? Are you really everything that I strive to be, that I want my focus to be? And how can I represent you this Christmas season? And I want you to think about this for these next few days. Because as you get ready for Christmas, you got final shopping that you're thinking about doing. Maybe you're hosting. Maybe you're going. I don't know. What it really comes down to is you and I had sin that had to be taken care of. And that's why Jesus came down to be born of a virgin. Our sin had to be taken care of. That's what it means for him to be our Savior. So as the worship team gets ready to do what child is this, We'll come back after that and close you out with a word of prayer and think about those words about who Jesus is to you and how you can represent him here this Christmas season.
Lord, thank you for this evening tonight, just to learn of you, to grow in you. And Lord, I just pray we could really do what those songs said. Just give you the glory for being our Savior that came down, Lord. Help us to keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you and all we say and do. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Hey, before I let you guys go, just so you guys know, Wednesday evening, excuse me, Saturday evening, 6.30, Christmas Eve service. And on Sunday, we'll have our regular 8.30 and 10 o'clock services as well. We'll do a short Christmas devotional, but 8.30 and 10 on Christmas morning. Um, I do believe there will be some child care back there. I think it's nursery through preschool parents if you're coming out on Christmas morning. But also Saturday evening is Christmas Eve service at 6.30. Hey, you guys have a Merry Christmas. If you got anything you want to pray about, come up here, grab me. We'll get a chance to pray about it. Have a blessed, blessed week, and you guys take care. God bless.